Hello, renovators. In today's episode, I have a special guest in Nyan Nguyen. Nyan is a developer and an educator, and the reason I've brought him in is because development is probably the next step from renovating. So, some of the projects we do involve some subdivision, you know, like adding a land component. But at some point in time, most renovators graduate on to the next level, which is development. And the reason being, it's not quite so hands-on in that, you know, you're not having to be on the project every day and it has a higher profit margin. So you're looking at, you know, 20% as opposed to most of our feasibilities we base on 10 And so in today's episode, I am going to be delving into some of the distinctions in his program and how basically they operate in terms of making a profit from development. And of course, uh, renovating does feature in the development story. So the skills that you have now carry over very well into the next stage. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. And before we get into this episode, I need to remind you that the information in this podcast is general in nature and opinion only. It should not be taken as personal advice. There are significant risks with buying and renovating property and you should maximize your profit potential and minimize your risk by seeking independent advice that relates to your personal circumstances through your own financial planner, accountant, and any other professionals that you are working with. The examples in this podcast are for illustrative purposes only. So enjoy. Hello, and today I've got Nan Nguyen of Advanced Property Strategies, and we're going to be talking about development. Um, The reason we are having this conversation is because I believe that most renovators should be thinking about evolving to development at some point in time. And the main reason for that is that the um, profit margins are generally higher. But of course, with higher profit margins come higher risks. And so today we're going to be talking about an expert in the field. Uh, Like me, he's made quite a lot of mistakes and we all know (laughs) that's where the learnings come from. So welcome, Jan. G'day, Bernadette. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, thanks for being here. I think that these little exchanges of expertise are really gold for our audience. And so let's get into it. So do you want to just give me a a rough sort of outline of how you got to be where you are today? Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, firstly, thanks for being with me today and uh, enjoying this uh, beautiful sunshine. Hey, we're in a great weather at the moment. I know. uh, (laughs) I know, yeah. No, it's, it's beautiful. So no, I'm really uh, loving the, the property game. Uh, when I started, I was in about uh, my 20s. I, I actually picked up the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, when I was 19 or so. Um, I was going to university and I was always reading personal development books and stumbled on Robert Kiyosaki. And uh, a few months later, 
my realized my friends were into it. They had the board game. We started going to seminars and um, it was a real interesting uh, path that I started off because I had no intention. You know, I was one of those kids who was annoyed when you played Monopoly. As a kid, I'd always lose and I just didn't understand the game. Um, so I thought, you know what, business isn't for me. I'm not really into this. So having said that, you know, it, it sparked a really good interest in me when I was 19, 20, 21, going to seminars about anything and everything, whether it's business, property, shares, foreign exchange, anything. And, and I really started to look at different ways of, of making money. Uh, after a few mistakes here and there, I figured out that property was something I really enjoyed. It wasn't necessarily something I was good at, but I, it's something I enjoyed and I loved the negotiation side of things. So by the time I was 21, uh, I bought um, three properties uh, and I just threw myself into it. Um, I was lucky to even you know, finish university. I'd started failing subjects when I was out there looking at houses with uh, some of my mentors and colleagues. So yeah, it started off as an early journey. Um, I made a lot of mistakes early on, like, like you mentioned, and progressed from there. So, you know, doing some buy reno holds, some buy reno sells, and, and then over the years growing, to doing strata titling townhouses, renovating townhouses, building houses. Uh, that was in about 2005, 2007. And, and done a whole, yeah, whole, whole different uh, yeah, foray of, of different types of deals, but mainly residential. I'm starting to do some commercial stuff now with the childcare centre, but mainly residential, land subdivisions, uh, townhouses, th- those kind of things. Wow. Uh, to be honest with you, a couple of things I wanted to say there. I could not get past, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I know it has some great principles in it, but I could not get past the fact that he, his premise was that he measured the value of a person by their wealth building strategies. And I just couldn't, so, I'm, you know, a lot of people talk about that book and it's just, you know, yeah. So, but anyhow, that's fine. And um, I didn't know that you started out renovating. Uh, well, I think that's where most people start, isn't it? So um, I bought a house. It was a, I'm not sure it was a motivated seller. I think it was worth sixty-five thousand. I paid fifty-five for it. The tenants were renting. I think paid one hundred and thirty-five a week, and it was positively cash flowed. So based on those numbers, the crazy thing I did though was to get the first homeowners grant. Was I moved in with the tenants? I don't know if you know that story. <laughs> <laughs> Why so, does that not surprise me? <laughs> <laughs> you know me well enough now to see some of the crazy things I do. Um, yeah, so I gave them a rent reduction. I think it was $100 a week and I moved into one of the rooms. I was there once a while, you know, once a week, twice a week to get the first homeowner's grant. And uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy. The tenant, the girlfriend was 21. The, husband, the boyfriend was 65. It was just, you know, I was 21 at the time and I was just not aware of social graces. I was just focused on, yeah, I've got a house. They're paying me rent. It's positively cash. So I got the first homeowner's grant. Life is good. So, um, oh. yeah, looking back on it now, I'm sure we could share stories of some of the crazy things we've done. Oh, I don't think I can match that one, actually. <laughs> you sure? You sure? Um, but yeah, I, I think that that was the first one. I ended up, I think, yeah, buying it for 55, selling it for 65, but with all the costs, the tenants, those tenants moved out and some other tenants moved in. Um, I tried to be too tricky. I think that's one of my challenges that I've had to teach my clients is just to keep it really simple. I did some, you know, sexy in inverted commas, vendor finance option strategy with the buyers or the, so the tenants with potential rent to buy. And they just yeah, walked all over me because I was you know, young, 21, believe what they said. They're on Centrelink. Yeah getting $1,000 a week, six kids, and they trashed my property. And, and I sold that property for, with 65K and made two grand profit, but a lot of scars and, and a lot of emotional uh, yeah. upset. 
um, yeah. and stress as a 21 year old because, um, yeah, they weren't paying rent and I couldn't kick them out either. So, yeah, um, wow. Yeah, well, so the, go for it. Sorry, they're good. Uh, they're, they're the best learning, so aren't they? Yeah. You don't make that mistake twice. No, well, uh, I did actually. <laughs> well, uh, to slow, different slow learner. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's true. Oh, so how did you get to be um, teaching? So what was, what was the, um, I guess, motivation for going this way? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, you're coming back to um, Kiyosaki, and I'm trying to figure out which chapter you're talking about that you didn't like. Um, and then that's okay. Maybe I was young and vulnerable and took it too literally. When Maybe when you, you read it, um, it was a little bit different. But yeah, with Kiyosaki, he, he did uh, seminars in 99 and 2000, 2001 um, yeah, at the convention center here in Brisbane. And, and I was really inspired by his message and how he was able to inspire people to just essentially lift their financial independence and, and not depend on the government. I, I yeah. think that's probably the message. Um, yeah, some of the things he said were you know, a bit out there, a bit abrasive. Um, I thought, okay, this guy's pretty arrogant, but you know what? I don't have to be that way. I'll just take my own um, story to it so um and and essentially you know with, with a christian background i do love sharing a message when something works I, um i love helping people as well in, in property there's a lot of ways that you can make mistakes and a lot of people do make mistakes and i've made a lot of mistakes myself and i've, I've known that you know if, if people can avoid those mistakes that i've made for example I, I did a deal where i borrowed money and it was just really expensive you know four percent a month which was 48 percent mm. per annum right? So mm -hmm. the interest rates these days are sub 4%, let alone 4% a month, uh, 48% yeah. per annum. And I've just done some crazy things like, you know, that, that one was the first one that meant to there moving in with the tenants. As a younger investor, I, I didn't know where the boundaries are and had to find out myself. And as people get into the game, they, they want to uh, try some things and they push the boundaries. And I feel my job and responsibility if they're willing to um, listen to me is um, yeah show them what the boundaries could be so that they sustain their growth um, I don't try to limit clients growth I find some clients feel like I'm limiting them it's, it's like you know a teenager wanting to to um, expand themselves and explore the world and in, in the world of property um, yeah if you grow too fast as you know you can expose yourself and uh, lose a lot of money and go broke and run out of money very very quickly um, if you don't do it in a sustainable way exactly yeah I guess what I'd like to ask you is what sort of profit margins does your type, well, let, let's talk about your strategies first. What would be your, if someone came to you and said, uh, I want to build my, build my wealth reasonably quickly, what sort of strategies would you be suggesting that they take on? Yeah, very good. So um, it's interesting, though, that yeah, wherever people are, I generally do suggest uh, a handful of things. Firstly, is they learn how to renovate. And I know this wasn't a loaded question that you had, but... Um, <laughs> oh, I have... <laughs> I, well, I'm, this is all news to me, so I'm all ears. <laughs> I actually, yeah, this is some of the things that I get my coaches to talk to my clients about. I, I say that there's three things that they need to focus on. Definitely, firstly, is they need to know the, the basics of, of renovating um, Full, full disclosure for the listeners here is I don't like renovating. I prefer not to renovate. Um, it's not a skill set of mine. I've got clients who are way better and more efficient than me at renovating. But I say to them, look, renovating is an essential skill. 
and you need to know how to do it. Um, at the end of the day, I'm in the business of property to make money. So I find things that I enjoy to make money, which is development. But essentially, uh, renovation, cosmetic renovation is where we essentially suggest people to start. Um, the second thing, skill that we suggest people do is um, learn how to buy right. So buying under market value, learning how to negotiate with vendors, negoti- learning how to negotiate with agents and get the best deal possible. And the third thing we suggest people do is uh, focus on multiple sources of income. And, and that could be, you know, like a free block of land, subdividing the back block off, building a granny flat at the back, building duplexes at the back of an existing house or um, yeah, renting out, you know, your rooms one by one um, to get multiple tenants. So okay. I think it, it, yeah, in summary is one, the cosmetic reno, two, the uh, buying right skill, and, and thirdly, the multiple sources of income. Okay. And so... So are you generally a buy and hold strategy or do you buy and sell as well? Yeah, very good. I think that that's one of the biggest misconceptions in property when people associate in seminars, especially buy and hold with Warren Buffett. But I, I do both. You know, I do both. I believe in development, buy and hold is healthy and uh, buy and sell is healthy. And I believe that you know, if you are active in the property market and you, you do multiple transactions, you can do that. Some people, you know, they work PAYG and they do that for 10, 20, 30 years. They don't have a lot of time or passion or commitment to doing a lot of transactions. So buy and hold, I do suggest, could be a good strategy for them. But for me personally, and my, what I suggest to my clients is uh, buy some, so build some, sell some, keep some, build some, sell some, keep some. So that could be, you know, do a one into three, sell two, keep one, mm, or mm. Uh, one into five, sell four, keep one. Because there's benefits of both and then there's negatives of both. Um, but yeah, you, you just got to balance the two, just like left leg and right leg to, to balance uh, walking, moving forward. Um, yeah, that, that's my suggestion. They're just in a um, general generalization. Yeah. And, and so let's get a bit of gold here now. So what, so what are your um, so tips for getting buying under market value? Yeah, sure. I think one of the things that is not very well understood or taught um, just in the general marketplace is looking for motivated sellers. And I think that's definitely one of my strengths in, in our teachings as we talk about the four Ds, you know, divorce, deceased estate, debt and distance. You know, one of the deals that I bought uh, off a deceased estate, they, they didn't necessarily give me at a, at a massive discount, but they were forced to sell. Essentially, there was four siblings, four sisters of which two were executors and that they were committed to sell. And it was a property that was 1,062 square meters on a corner. I was able to keep the existing house, do a cosmetic reno on that and cut off four blocks off that. So each of the blocks around about 180 square meters. And so that, that combined the um, yeah, motivated seller strategy with the free block of land strategy that I talked about before. So because it had two street frontage and were able to maintain the existing house, it just we were just able to yeah, be able to cut off four blocks. Uh, I knew the zoning um, and I understood the zoning and ability to, to cut off a, a small blocks off it. Okay. And that's a great strategy. That's something we do, not necessarily the floor blocks off, but look for a renovation project that has some land because it just adds that, that, that um, you know, extra um, strategy and extra profit potential. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And not necessarily yeah. that much more physical work, isn't it? No. Well, mm. really no more physical work because yeah. most of it gets done by the... Civil contractor. Yeah, and the town planner and so on. Yeah, um, for sure. But so just let's get to the free blocks of land. Then they're not, it's not completely free though. Oh, no, not necessarily. It's available. Yeah. 
yeah. it's available. Yeah, and it's underutilized. So it could be, you know, a thousand yeah. square meters, like you said, with the house at the front. I think you've done one where it was 800 square meters on a corner block, keep the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What about joint ventures? So joint ventures are the bane of my life because <laughs> I really, I don't know what it is, but when I, I, what I have noticed is when people get into joint ventures, something happens and there's, sure. there's often uh, the managing the relationships mm. is quite challenging. Ha, yes. Have you found that? For sure. Look, I'm glad, you know, for those listeners here, you know, Bernadette and I have known each other for a good enough while to be able to be completely blunt with each other. Um, the joint ventures I do now in 2020 and moving beyond in the last five years were completely different to what I did the previous 15 years in my property career. I'll, I'll be honest with you. So you are absolutely right. It, it's like, you know, a marriage that wasn't meant to be because what I mean by that is that oftentimes people have um, business um, backgrounds or business agendas that they don't even know exist until you get into business with them and, and oftentimes or sometimes you'll get into business uh, with friends that good friends but when money's on the table things change right exactly i look i often say and i do like to call it out as it is because mm. i think there's a rosy view mm. um put out about joint ventures yes. and and i think people need to go in with their eyes wide open yeah sure. one of the things that i say to our people when they're doing them is um this is like marriage you are joined at the hip mm. and you've got to expect that some point in time you're going to hate the other person's guts. <laughs> it's just a fact of life. You're going to That's think right. that they're, you know, that you're having to do more or whatever and you've got to really bring, I always say the essential ingredient to a joint venture is bringing um, an open heart and really being grateful for the opportunity to do a project where you wouldn't be able to do one. And sometimes sure. that means just sucking it up and getting on with the job. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So basically do people find joint venture partners in your community? I'm asking you this because I know this is what my uh, audience will be thinking. So I'm sure. just making sure we answer their questions. <laughs> now, this is good. I'm glad we're not taking the rosy view of things. And I suppose I want to clarify my angle on how I approach joint ventures within my programs yeah. as well. So, um, and, and address that question that you mentioned as well. So f firstly, when my clients do joint ventures, uh, we generally, the way that I teach them how to approach it is with two parts. So imagine a circle and you cut it in half. One half has uh, provides all the funds and the other half provides the time. So with my clients, they come in with the opportunity of doing no money down where they are in charge and expected to do all the work physically of the project. So whether it's painting the walls or, or organizing a painter or um, organizing a build or, you know, organizing the concrete. Um, so my point is that with my clients, when they're going with the no money down JV, they are expected to do all the time, uh, negotiate with the agent, go to the auctions, all negotiations, organize the paperwork and, and the time partner, their job is to uh, pay for everything. So essentially buy the property in their entity, let's say, pay for the mortgage payments, put down the deposit, pay for the stamp duty, all the renovation costs, any overruns. So uh, essentially each person has their role. So I think that's really important in joint ventures to, to stop the headaches or minimize yeah. the headaches because there will be headaches and conflicts, um, especially when it comes time to sell, when there's a disagreement on price. 
But yeah, firstly, you really got clear on roles and responsibilities. Your role is money. My role yeah. is time. Uh, and anything that comes up, I'll sort it out. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is exit strategy. I think that's with, with joint ventures that people stuff up on is that they think that uh, it's till death do us part, right? But if with property, it's not. It's a transaction. It's a transaction, just like, you know, if you and I do a seminar together, it's a transaction. We do a transaction and or you go to McDonald's and you have a cheeseburger. You have a choice to do business again down the track or not. <clears throat> uh, and then there needs to be an exit on it. It's not just a, uh, till death do us part. And like you said, joined at the hip. Um, so, and that, that combines with my other philosophy, which is get in, get out, get paid. So it's about the velocity of the faster you get in and get out and get paid, Everybody can enjoy the fruits of their labor, enjoy the profits and have a glass of wine and choose whether to or not do another deal together. Yeah, brilliant. And yeah, so, um, so just to clarify that w- with the listeners here is, and, and I get it, I'll be honest with you, I don't do deals like that anymore because I'm qualified enough to be able to get my own serviceability and I, I raise capital slightly differently um, to that basic model that I talked about there. But at, when I started in for the first 10 years, that model has worked a treat. Yes, you do have disagreements, um, you know, and there are challenges. Like I had a partner who just refused to sell his property. At the beginning, I was able to get in, buy a couple of million dollars worth of property. He funded everything, but he didn't want to sell because he, was, he had a big enough tax bill. He didn't want, want to pay more tax. He was a doctor. And, and all I wanted was to get profit out of the equity, out of the, the deal rather than cash flow. Cash flow was good, but you know, I wanted the extra 50, 100, 200 grand from the sales of the properties, not just the cash flow positive property income. So my point is that's why I uh, specifically talk about, yeah, exit strategy, having an exit in mind, the velocity of money, getting in, getting out, getting paid. So, and and to answer your second question is yes, uh, people do joint ventures within our community. Uh, If a deal is good enough and it ticks all the boxes uh, from time to time, people can bring me their deals and I'll introduce them to various uh, potential money partners as well. It's up to them to either do business or make sure that meets everybody's needs. As you know, with, with yeah. a money partner, there are a lot of needs that sometimes can be met and sometimes they can't. And uh, yeah, it's just a negotiation like anything else. Great. Yeah. It's, thanks for clarifying that. Now, the next thing I want to ask you is, so I don't know, one of my mentors used to say to me, show me the money. <laughs> you might even know who that is because I'm pretty sure you've done some dealings with him too. So if someone came to you um, uh, looking at your program, what sort of margins could they expect? Say I've got someone coming and they want to um, do a deal and they've got some money to invest. They might need a joint venture partner, but they want to get in and get out and get paid. What sort of profit margins do you work on? Uh, so, are they? Would you consider them a beginner developer? Yes, and, and wanting to learn definitely. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So, look, it, when people are wanting to do developments for the first time, I generally suggest they aim around at the hundred to one hundred and fifty, maybe even two hundred k mark to make it worthwhile. Why that is is to get into a, a subdivision or a splitter. Your acquisition cost is at least you know, five hundred, six hundred k. So, if you're not making at least one hundred, one hundred and fifty k on something like that, um, based on an eighteen to twenty two percent profit margin, it's not really worthwhile. You know, if you're doing a, a reno, some of my clients, you know, they'll 
be happy with fifty, eighty thousand dollars. But like you said, with the Renault margins, it can be uh, quite thin. Just because, not because of the Renault itself, it's just the transactional yeah. costs, stamp yeah. duty, agents commission. It's five percent in, five percent out. So ten percent of costs are just transactional costs that you actually get no value from whatsoever, just paper. Um, and, and the same thing with, with development is that um, there's going to be applications, approvals, um, contributions from time to time. GST may be applicable on vacant land. Um, so, yeah, uh, if I was there, I'd be looking for the 100 to 150K mark as a starter um, and doing maybe a one into two, a one into two, just because it's just a good way to cut your teeth. Um, the more profitable deals, I'll be honest with you, uh, are beyond that. We're talking one into five, one into seven is a really good sweet spot. Uh, when you get above one into seven, the structure of the development kind of changes. You've got to start putting in roads and other infrastructure, which is um, yeah, cost prohibitive. Um, I'm doing a 30 lotter at the moment. I've got to put a big fat road in the middle of it. And that's just expensive. I've got retaining walls. I've got you know, yeah, left, right and centre, bioretention. It's expensive and uh, complicated. So when, when people are starting out, you know, I don't try to stem in their enthusiasm. I just want to steer them to success on their first deal so they can organically grow onto a second and third deal with, with confidence and growing organically rather than ploughing their way into a headache or, you know, potentially a breaking even or worse yet losing money. Yeah, and you do, um, so going on from that, you do offer mentoring? Yes, that's right, yeah. So yeah. In, in our programs, yeah, we, we focus on the, the three fundamentals, like I mentioned before, buying under market value, um, free blocks of land, as well as no money down. So I think with, with those three elements, um, if you're wanting to do development, you've got the, the essentials there, and a lot of it is learning uh, on the job, so to speak, within our training and our programs and our boot camps. We get people on the phones, ringing agents, putting in offers, talking to property owners live, uh, as well as uh, talking to property investors. So it's very much interactive and, and that's why my students get a lot of results uh, because we make them do it rather than just uh, sit there and give them a PowerPoint. Teach them and, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good, yeah. yeah. Um, so just on the no money down thing, I know you've just touched on that a bit. I forgot about that bit. Um, do you want to just um, elaborate a bit more? So, um, what you know, what's available? Because I know a lot of a lot of people that I work with would yeah. would think that's a great skill to have. So, basically, how do you structure those sorts of deals? Yeah, for sure. So, like I mentioned before, I think the the critical things that we teach uh, that make our clients uh, able to capital raise is, firstly, we give them a, a business business plan. So we give them a template to use to present the deal. I think a big part of uh, raising capital that a lot of um, beginner investors don't understand is there's a language that they need or a language of comfortability. So for example, return on investment or cash on cash return. Those are just words that are bandied around. But what mm. does that mean? And if you have a 10% uh, yield or 10% profit margin versus a 20% profit margin. Yes, it's obviously double the profit, but how does that relate to risk? So we, we give you a, uh, give the clients a template on how to raise capital. And it's the same template that I actually use in my capital raising. So I'm still capital raising in the last uh, 12 or so months. I raised $1.2 million in cash investors. And I use the same template that I teach my clients to use. And it's a very step-by-step -step copy and paste. It's a temp template I've derived over the last 20 years, uh, trial and error, feedback from clients. Um, so 
yeah, that's one thing is a, a template. Second thing is in our courses, we teach people what to say and what not to say to, to investors as well. It's, it's about the approach. Yeah. It's so different to talking to a real estate agent looking for a good deal, right? It's the same yeah. thing. It's a, yeah. it's a process. And, and most of the time, this process is not taught at school. So, um, yeah, the way I've learned it is just through making mistakes, getting feedback from investors and, and looking at, okay, what are their needs uh, and what are their desires, but at the same time, making sure your needs are met and your um, interests are protected as well. Great. <clears throat> okay. So um, we're just about um, ready to wrap up. Is there anything that I, sh- that I haven't asked you that I should have? Oh, no, look, I think uh, oftentimes people ask me, Young, why do you do seminars in education when you're doing so well in property? Um, I find it's like playing multiple sports. It's just very um, enjoyable for me, like I said, with a Christian background, wanting to to give back and reduce the amount of mistakes and pain that other people uh, could experience through the learnings and the mistakes that I've made. Um, I I love uh, doing property, but I do find because the projects that I run, they're very uh, efficient. I, I can't physically, you know, I've got, let's say, three or four projects on it moment a 30 lot subdivision a childcare center and another a house build uh, with a the subdivision there and you know I, I can't throw any more than 10 or 20 hours a week into that because i'm not physically laying the tiles i'm not physically digging the trenches i'm managing it i'm going out to, uh, in, investigating i've got project managers on them as well so from a time point of view i've got a lot of time and yeah, I love talking about property and helping people. So that just balances out my needs for interaction with people and at the same time doing deals. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks very much for sharing your um, expertise and giving us a bit of insight into what you offer. I think I must admit when you and I first met, I thought we were chalk and cheese. But And, and in terms of programs, we are. But yeah. I think deep down our values are very aligned and that's yeah. why I think that... If, if any of my students were, were to say to me, I want to do development, who should I learn from? Mm. Then, um, then I would feel very comfortable um, saying, you know, like recommending you as a teacher. Thank so, you. Okay. Well, thanks so much. And I hope everyone enjoyed that. And, yeah, see you next week. Thanks, guys. Beautiful. Yeah, catch you later. And, uh, yeah, if you want to check us out, it's uh, youngproperty.com. I'm sure Bernadette will chuck that on the I will. We'll we'll include uh, that in the show notes. It's all good. We had a lot of fun. Until next time. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.